This is After the Gridiron, podcast featuring interviews with retired football players. Thank you for tuning in to the show. Before we get to the episode, please make sure you hit that subscribe button so you don't miss an episode. Today, another player shares his incredible football journey with us and talks about his life after the gridiron. You're going to love it. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of After the Gridiron. I am your host, Lyle Green, and today we have a, a special bonus episode for you. Um, we don't have a former player, but we have someone who is definitely uh, very involved in the NFL, and his name is Paul Epstein. So Paul um, is a 15-year veteran of pro sports as an executive, so we have lots of, lots of experience in this sports world, which we'll get into in a little bit. And he is now the author of a new book called The Power of Playing Offense, a leader's playbook for personal and um, team transformation. So, Paul, thanks for coming on and welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you so much, Lyle. Fired up. All right, sounds good. So, um, I usually start off my episodes by asking my guests to say something about themselves that most people don't know about them. So, what would that be for you? What's something about you that uh, most people don't know about you? Yeah, that's an interesting one. And, um, I have to say, so especially with a name like Paul Epstein, folks can make those cultural connections however they see fit. But for me, the interesting backstory there is, so my mom is a proud Mexican descent and I am from oh, wow. LA. So yeah, yeah. so I'm only about a three hour drive above the border. And so most of my childhood was spent back and forth, weekdays in Southern California, weekends down in Ensenada, Mexico, about an hour below the border. And so we just kept going back and forth. And it was so cool because you get to just experience the different cultures and the different uh, ways of living. Even though it's a three to four hour drive, it feels like two different worlds. But I'll tell you, Lyle, that just having such a loving family and having such tight connections down there, I always joke that you get introduced to tacos and tequila at a pretty early age. <laughs> pretty early, that's, that's not a bad thing to get introduced to at an early age, for sure. No, no. But ta- of yeah. course, tacos before, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Hopefully, sure. yeah, tequila came a little bit, a little bit later on in life, hopefully. <laughs> uh, nice. That's awesome. So, yeah, my wife is actually uh, has part, part Mexican as well, so I'm definitely love it. into the, the taco part, especially. I love the, the Mexican food. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm yes. all in on, on the Mexican food. Good stuff. Fantastic. Cool. So, uh, yeah, let's talk about your uh, involvement in sports. So, obviously, being involved in so many, uh, as an executive with so many sports teams, you're probably a, a sports fan growing up. Did you, did you play any sports growing up? I did. I did. So as a young kid, it was more baseball, basketball. But then by the time that I got into high school, it was football. And that was, well, I could say I probably was more talented at baseball. I I certainly, my heart was always in football. Mind you, being able to connect the dots and spring forward. I know we're going to dive deep into what I did from a career perspective, but when I was playing, even if it was at a high school level, I didn't know that you could make uh, a living off the field, but still in sports. So for me, I had some opportunities, some D2, D3 offers to pursue the football route on the field. But in my case, uh, thankfully, and I'm blessed, I, I was, you know, my parents raised me that it was always school, education, grades first and foremost. And so 
My GPA yeah. was one that got me into a ton of schools based on my academics. And so I had a tough decision to make. Do I go with football at a D2, D3 level, or do I go to some amazing educational universities and pursue those options? I chose school and I was just playing the odds there, just knowing that, hey, I'm a 5, 10, 180 at the time. So yeah. <laughs> not really, uh, you know, what wasn't cutting the cloth there, but that's really kind of what got me started. I was always a fan of sports. I did not know that one day it would become my career. Nice, nice. So being in that that area and, cl and close to uh, growing up in that area and, and close to, to Mexico, I'm guessing you were a Cowboys fan. Am I am I correct on that? Ah, uh, no, no, no. So no, right, oh no. Were, well, well, being from <laughs> I thought LA, we were going to connect and, there. And, 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 and <laughs> I know you are a Cowboys fan. Yeah, I'm well, a Cowboys look, fan. Yeah, LA, go ahead. LA is such a melting pot, frankly. And here's the thing. By the time I knew what football was, LA no longer had an NFL team. So this was after the Rams had gone to St. Louis. This was, yeah. uh, you know, Raiders bouncing back and forth throughout California. But at this time they were in Oakland. And so we didn't have a team for most of my uh, childhood, my adolescence, my teenage years. So you kind of just adopt a team based on either A, who your parents like, or B, uh, just whoever is on TV the most. And so, and you might actually hang up the phone as soon as I give you this answer, but back oh, no, in the nineties, well, no, no, no. Back in the nineties, okay. remember your team and my latest professional team where I served as an executive, the Niners, it was Cowboys oh, yeah. Niners for a good handful of years. It was kind of those Aikman young era battles back yeah. and forth. Cowboys got the majority of the W's on the front end. Niners got the last laugh in that, you know, the year that eventually Steve led them to the Super Bowl. So yeah. needless to say, I've been a Niners guy ever since. I never knew I would eventually work for them. But uh, I'll tell you that Niners have been, you know, I've been bleeding the red and gold for a long time. For a long time. Okay. All right. I mean, despite that, we will continue the, the interview. But... Well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, just kidding. So, okay, that's fine. Well, actually, um, actually, they're a good well, team. I'll, they're... Share, I'll, I'll share this quick tidbit with you, though, and this is kind of hot off the press. Cowboys, I do do a lot of work with their executive team. And as a matter of fact, even on my podcast yesterday, I had their head of business operations, uh, Chad Estes, on my podcast. And so I shared this with you to say that uh, hey, while I may not root for them on the field, I love their culture, I love their leadership, and I love their people. So we do share that in common. There we go. There we go. That's that's a good that's a good um, comeback there. So I'll I'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> we can we can continue the interview with that. All right, <laughs> with that back. All right, good stuff. All right, that's cool. Okay, so um, yeah, so you didn't uh, make it on on the field, but you obviously. Uh, did uh, make it to professionally um, off the field in the executive side of things. So what, at what point did you um, start into that? So what point did you say, you know what, on the field is not going to work for me, but maybe I should try off the field. Was that something you wanted to do or is it just something you kind of fell into? Yeah, it's an interesting story. So I was at USC for my undergrad. And so obviously big football school, I was not playing, but I, I still kind of had that athletic juice going throughout me. Uh, while I was in school, I was working for a Fortune 10 organization in the sales and marketing space, and I parlayed what started as an internship into a full-time opportunity upon graduation. Now, part of my job, and this all connects to how I end up in sports, I am a territory sales manager. This is straight out of undergrad, so I'm give or take 21 years old, 
And yeah. if you're a football guy, you know who Mel Kuyper is, right? NFL oh, yeah. draft guru. And so guy, Mel yeah. comes on. I'm driving in my territory. I'm still working for the Fortune 10. I have it on ESPN radio. And Mel comes on in his typical fired up, high energy voice. And he says, have you ever wanted to work in sports? Have you ever dreamed of working for your favorite NFL, NBA, MLB? And I'm finding myself just speeding down the road like, yes, yes. <laughs> and so then the his head, call to, yeah, oh, for sure. And his call yeah. to action was call one eight seven seven smww now SMWW stands for Sports Management Worldwide. That online program is how I got my foot in the door. And basically they said for our top students, we will introduce you to our network. And lo and behold, I did well. They said, where do you want to work? I said, LA. They said, great. We know some folks at the Clippers. The job of entry-level sales did not exist for the Lakers because at the time it was Kobe and Shaq and they have no inventory to sell. But that is how I cut my teeth. That is how I broke into sports. It was all oh, wow. to a Mel Kuyper ESPN radio ad. How about that? Oh, wow. That's an amazing story. So if you had it on a different <laughs> channel or <laughs> if I had decided, it, if I yeah. didn't love sports, uh, if you didn't none love sports, wow, that's amazing. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. Mel Kuyper. Um, yeah. Not just a, a great draft guru, but uh, also a, a, jo a job agent person as well. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Okay, cool. Okay. So the Clippers were your first job. So what was, uh, what was that experience like play, um, working, working with them? Yeah, so from an entry level on up, and really the way to break down the business side of the sports industry for those listening in, there it's just like any other business in the sense of there's a very traditional structure. So by teams, you have a sales team, a marketing team, a finance team, an accounting team, an operations team, a service team, an engineering team, a game day team, all these different dynamics. And the widest foot in the door, the best way to crack into it for anybody that maybe has friends or family that say, how do I get into sports? It's not the easiest path, but it is the widest path is sales. And so it's because for every one finance person, there's 40 sales people. So you just kind of play the numbers game, if you will. But really yeah. what I learned there, Lyle, was, and, and just as a backstory, the Clippers, the year that I started for them were voted the worst brand in sports by ESPN. Okay. Oh, wow. <laughs> imagine, imagine you have to sell something that is called by a very credible source named ESPN, the worst brand in sports. <laughs> yeah. So that's <laughs> that not makes job a little like, bit difficult. <laughs> oh, really difficult. Cause your team, the Cowboys, a uh, source like Forbes says, Oh, at $5.7 billion valuation for 17 years running, they are the top. Well, the Cowboys are an easy sell. All right. The Clippers yeah. were a tough sell, but here's the beauty. And I think this is a good analogy, whether it's on the field or in the boardroom, the harder your circumstances are, the better the opportunity for you to prove yourself. So in other words, if I would have, let's say at the time worked for the Lakers, if that job existed, I could have been picking up incoming calls, not a real tough game to win. But with the Clippers, yeah. I scrapped, I clawed, I was gritty, I had to be resilient, I was tenacious. I was the only person, I started with a group of 12, I'm the only person that made it to the second month on the job, okay? Oh, wow. And it's, and it's because you get paid nothing, there's, like, basically, it is one of those things where it's almost like a pledge class, and they just put you through drills and training and skill development, and only the strong survive, so... 
that's kind of how I got started. And then we can continue and I'll let you hop back in. But really, it started at a sales capacity. Eventually, I would parlay that in a second stint at the Clippers to be the sales leader, meaning I was managing the sales team. So happy to continue or you can hop back in. But that's how I how I got started in the NBA initially. Oh, that's cool. Okay, so yes, it's kind of like a, a lot like sports, I guess, when you have a a, a player or a person who's with not doesn't have much talent around them, you can see all the the skills, all their skills, and can be yeah. um, can be shown, and it forces them to to dig deeper and to to try harder. It's, I guess you can see the parallel there with with sports and what you what you had to do working with the the Clippers, and and like you said, if it's not if it was if it was the Lakers, it'd be, it would have been pretty easy, obviously. With yeah, everyone want everyone wanting to be a part of the Lakers and part of that organization, but with the Clippers. You know, with that label as the worst uh, franchise or a tough franchise to, to work with, you, you had to dig deep, like you said, and uh, it, it showed what you could do and that uh, parlayed into a, a higher a higher position with them, which is uh, what uh, hard work can do and what uh, determination can, can lead to. Absolutely. Awesome. Okay, so you made it to, uh, to the... Uh, you got a promotion, I guess you could say, with, with the Clippers and uh, did some great stuff there. So how did... Where did you go from there? Where did you go from from the Clippers? When did you, for instance, yep. go to the 49ers? Yeah, so there's a couple stops in between, and I'll double-click on each and take everybody through the journey. So at the Clippers, second stint, I'm now in a leadership role, meaning I have a reporting team. I, I like to call it a span of care. And what yeah. that meant for me was, while this is where I learned how to be a leader, and really the spirit, and I know we're going to talk about the book in a bit, but the premise of the book is, before you lead others, you must first lead yourself. And yeah. that is the playbook that I never had. Nobody taught me how to lead people. They taught me how to sell. They taught me how to put numbers on the board. They taught me in, in sports terms. I was a great scorer, but nobody told me how to be great in the locker room, right? Like I had to figure it out. And thankfully through my own kind of, whether you want to call it EQ, whether you want to call it uh, just having care, compassion, passion, purpose, like all these things that eventually allowed me to rise in my career, I had to figure that stuff out. And I, I wasn't exemplary in those areas at the very beginning. I had to fall many times to realize that doesn't feel good. How do I avoid those pitfalls moving forward? So really the lesson from the Clippers was I, A, learned how to lead myself, and B, yeah. in turn, once I mastered that through a lot of mistakes initially, I then said I can now, I'm more capable and competent to lead others, to build teams, to be the leader of a championship culture off the court, if you will. So that's what I took from the Clippers. Now, I went to the then New Orleans Hornets. Now they're the Pelicans. And really what I took from that is relationships are everything. Literally, Lyle, there are relationships from the NBA at the league office level that I formed in New Orleans. And the last cold interview I've ever had in my life was when I went from yeah. LA to New Orleans. After that, New Orleans to Sacramento, Sacramento to New York, New York to San Francisco. I kid you not. And maybe you've heard of this saying before. Have you ever heard of that interview where it's pretty much a done deal. You just got to show up and they say, don't throw up on yourself. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, we've all heard that. Well, that, that, those were my interviews and from New Orleans to Sacramento, to New York, to San Francisco, Paul, don't throw up on yourself. The job is yours. Like you've proven yourself, <laughs> you've built the relationships. So I really learned the value of not only relationships in New Orleans, but about purpose because the Hornets were on the brink of being relocated out of the city. 
And then we had to rally the city around a campaign called I'm In, which the late Commissioner David Stern brought to the table. And that was something that I learned there. Sacramento Kings, um, I went to an NBA lockout there. Really tough. Your livelihood is really taken away, not only on the court, but off. And I learned another valuable leadership lesson there. Because my leader, the gentleman that I reported to, and I'll never forget him, his name's Phil. Phil yeah. led through crisis better than anybody I've ever seen. When we had kind of been deflated and the season is taken away, and so therefore the business is taken away, Phil showed his character. He showed who he was behind closed doors. And I'm a better leader for how he led during that time of crisis because of the NBA lockout. So I owe a lot to my shorter time in Sacramento, but it was still very impactful. New York is now where I break into the NFL. Uh, the Super, this was Super Bowl 48. It was the first time the game was in New York. Uh, yeah. It was the, uh, let's see, the, 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 the Seahawks Broncos. So this was where the Seahawks won. This was kind of when Peyton kind of fell first before he ended up winning a couple years later. The year after. Um, yeah. Yep. And so I worked at the NFL league office and I was essentially overseeing a national sales campaign where there were 4X revenue expectations versus the prior Super Bowl because the inflation of hosting a game in New Orleans versus hosting a game in New York, they figured money, 4X? this is where oh, wow. we really break. <laughs> 4X, 4X. Like, if you, like, okay, real talk, a lot of folks listening in, maybe we've been blessed and we've been in one of those luxury suites. So I'm the guy that's responsible for selling every suite in the building. At least my team is responsible for that. And I'm trying to kind of lead the charge the suites the year before where it was Niners Ravens in New Orleans, that was the blackout game, if you remember, where the lights oh, went yeah. out. The lights went out. Uh, yeah. yeah, lights went out. The suites in that game were about a hundred to hundred and fifty thousand dollars. The ones that I was responsible for in New York the following year were between four fifty and six hundred. Okay. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so like a one year four jump. But 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 again, wow, the beauty here is just like the Clippers, against all odds. Everybody said we couldn't do it. Everybody called us crazy. And it took us until the day before the game. It was so stressful. But A, we did it. And B, it kind of gave me that this was the catapult of my career because this was my shot. You know, like sometimes for those listening in, like when you're a player, if you're not the star from day one, but you're the role player, and eventually you get that tap on the shoulder. Maybe it's because of an injury. Maybe it's because good fortune. But you get your shot. And now what do you do with it? And for me in business, it was that Super Bowl piece where I'm talking to Commissioner Roger Goodell on a weekly basis, giving strategy updates in the boardroom, in the war room, and it put me on the map. And once it put me on the map, that's where the final jump came to the 49ers. And I was uh, head of sales and business development there, helped them open up Levi Stadium, billion dollar plus campaigns. And, and that's oh, wow. really the journey. Wow, that's amazing. Lots, lots of unpacking there. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> so you talked about um, relationships being the being a key. So how did we'll we'll go back to that real quick. How did you develop those relationships? You said that's key. So how did you initiate doing those, like establishing those relationships? A hundred percent. Well, for one, I think the tactical piece here is know other people's motivations. Like when I connect with you, Lyle, if I'm just getting to know you. As quickly as possible, I need to understand Lyle's personal and professional motivations. And once I understand that, if I can help Lyle achieve both or level up in both, then 
we're going to form a tighter connection because now Lyle knows that I have his back. Lyle knows that I'm going to show up for him. And it, basically, as a servant leader, that's the approach that I took with everybody, whether they were on my team, whether they were fellow leaders to my left and right in the organization, whether I was managing up uh, to whoever it was that I reported to. I knew what was most important to you, and I helped you get it. I didn't put my own needs over other people's needs. So I think, uh, you know, the, the simple way of thinking about this and maybe something that's memorable. So, Lau, we've all heard of the golden rule, which the golden rule is treat others as you want to be treated, right? Yeah. I have actually found a rule that has served me even better than that in life. And it's called the platinum rule. The platinum nice. rule is treat others as they want to be treated. That nice. is the ticket because if there's 10 people in a locker room, different things fire them up. They have different values. They have different life experiences. They all have a unique path to come into that locker room. So if I treat them all the same, I'm going to miss the mark on some of them for sure. But if I yeah. take a customized approach and get to know the 10 human beings, not players, not business executives, human beings that are standing in front of me, now I have a chance to create a one-to-one -one game plan for each and every one of them. And that's how I built relationships. That's awesome. That's awesome. Some good advice there. And yes, um, I'd, just, I'd say gold advice, but probably say platinum advice to uh, platinum. Yeah, treat, other, exactly. <laughs> treat others as they want to be treated. That's the key, right? Don't just think yes. of, because everyone's perspectives, everyone's backgrounds, everyone's uh, you know, history is, is, is going to be different. So um, what you might like might not be what someone else likes. So make sure you get to know them and, and know what their likes and desires are and to and to um, cater to those things and to, to treat them the way they want to be treated. So that's, that's some good advice there. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Okay. So let's, uh, yeah, let's dive into um, your book and your um, reason for, for, for writing this. So your book is called the power of playing offense. So talk about uh, your inspiration to, to write in the book and yeah, just why you want to, uh, to put uh, pen to paper. Absolutely. So I said something earlier that really was the driving force of what inspired me to think about the book and then eventually put pen to paper. This was the leadership playbook that I never had. And again, I describe leadership as before you lead others, you must first lead yourself. So I don't need a title or a role or a rank or authority to be a leader. That's how the world defines leadership. My book is really different. My book empowers every person in life to step into leadership. Because if it's about leading self, I don't need a title to lead myself. And so even people on the front line, people at the entry level, that rookie in the league, they are a leader. But the way that we describe a leader is if you don't have a C on your chest and you're not the captain, you're not a leader. I think that's BS. So I really wanted to write a playbook that could be more inclusive and more empowering for the entire locker room. And so really what this was, playing offense to me, so there's two types of people and performers in life. And this is my distilled way of looking back at 15 years of leading in the NFL and NBA on the business side. I said, yeah. there's two types of people. One that always is on their heels. The other is playing from their toes. The first, always playing not to lose. The second, playing to win. The first, the market, the competition, external circumstances dictate the terms. The second, they operate on their own terms. They take control of their future. 
They play with passion. They play with purpose. Most importantly, they know why they play the game. There is a deeper why. If what you do is go put touchdowns on the board or go catch that interception, that's what you do. What is the undercurrent? What is the why? Because what I have found, and this is the spirit of the book, is purpose is the driver of performance. Because in my opinion, you can perform and win a game without purpose. Maybe you get lucky and you win a season without purpose, but you will not form a dynasty. You will not form an inspiring legacy if you're not a deep believer in why are you playing the game. And so for me, playing offense, of course, it's easy to get the raw, raw and hey, let's go get them. And you're kind of marching forward down the field if that's a metaphor for either sports or life. But inevitably, 2020 is a great example that the defense is going to push back. Adversity is going to strike. And so the book was written for A, in the blue skies, how do you lead yourself through purpose? And then when adversity hits, so pillar two, where pillar one is all about purpose, pillar two is be the storm chaser. In other words, there's inevitable adversity ahead. How do you cultivate grit? How do you master resilience? And I provide a very tactical playbook for how to do that. And then the third pillar, you'll, you'll like this one as a football guy. Yeah. I call it salute the long snapper. Because in life, not everybody is a star quarterback. And the long snapper often gets overlooked, but they should not be. Because here's the analogy to work. When somebody does 99 things right, they'll never hear a word. But when they do one thing wrong, they'll never hear the end of it. And that's the life of a long snapper. And I just oh, fundamentally yeah. <laughs> push back to that. I fundamentally push back. And I'm like, dude, long snappers can be the difference between winning and losing. And not everybody needs to be that star quarterback in business, in life, or on the field or on the court or whatever it is. So I really wanted to create a more inclusive environment because until long snappers believe that they have a seat at the table, then that's when they're going to give their all their discretionary effort, their strengths, their gifts, their talents, their passions, that's when it's on full display. And really, that's kind of the, the genesis of what drove the book. And then the conclusion is, if you start with purpose, you end with impact and you end with legacy. And here's a metaphor that I want everybody to listen in on. And then I'll kick it back to you is the, the thesis here is, I believe there's two mountains that we all go through in life. And especially I'll speak relative to the United States, where I believe that we are very trophy driven. I believe that we are a society driven by success. And so is Lyle a success? I don't know. Let me look at the trophy cabinet. Yes or no. Is Paul a success? Let me look at the trophy cabinet. And I'm going to call BS on that because I've had my fair share of trophies. And I say this in a very humble way, Lyle, but I yeah. have my fair share of trophies. And you know what happens every time I get one? Like, here's a real example. Last week, I became a best-selling author. I launched a book last week and on Tuesday, bang, there's the trophy. And guess what? I'm still Paul. On Wednesday, I wake up, I put my shoes on the same way. Like I have to attack each day with the humility and hunger that I had before I was a bestseller. Because if my identity was solely about the trophy of becoming a bestseller or a Super Bowl champion or whatever, I'm going to get to the top of the success mountain and look around and ask myself, is this it? Like I did all that. I did all that. And it feels good, but it's like a sugar high. The next day you go back to the blocking and tackling of life. So my message is don't chase success. What we want is to chase significance. 
And that's the finale of the book, from a life of self to a life of legacy, from a life of success, which is about serving yourself, to a life of significance, which is serving others through impact, through purpose, through legacy. And that's really the roadmap of the five pillars of how you play offense. That's awesome. That's, that's lots, a lot of good stuff in there. So um, you talked about uh, the the long snapper, and uh, that's I guess yeah. I think that's something that uh, a lot of uh, good good leaders realize that it's not all about the like you said the the star players and the the star performers, but everyone plays a part, right? There's everyone has a role to play, and even though it may be a, a smaller role like a, a long snapper, it's still a very important role. So for them to to feel um, included and to feel important, right, is is something that good leaders you know, distill on, on people in those type of positions that, hey, you're important too and what you what you do is important to the organization and we need you to, to be at your best and to, to perform and we care about what you're doing. So like I said, yeah, a lot, a lot of good stuff there and, and including the little people is something that I'd, I picked up from that from that section there. Yeah. So, yeah. All right, a lot of good stuff here. So Paul, um, before we finish off, is there kind of uh, lighten it up a bit and is there any, some, Favorite stories that you have from uh, from the NFL or NBA that you can that you can share with the with the listeners? Yeah, you know, because I come at this, I know you have so many athletes and, and former NFL guys that are coming on the show. So I, I think what I can do is because I know that a lot of former players they step into the business world, right? And and some of them it's after a long illustrious career of decades. Others hey, they're still in their 20s because, you know, maybe there were some pivots or they had to reinvent or whatever. And I'll just say this, you know, early in my career, I approached business very much like sports. It was a win at all costs mentality Yeah. versus the more that I matured and the more that I failed through the first, uh, and when I say failed, I always hit the number, but I, I didn't feel fulfilled on the inside. You know, I didn't feel that deeper purpose. I was just excellent at a task, excellent at achieving a result. And I hope this will resonate with folks is I used to think solely about the what, meaning what I did. As I matured, I started to think about the why, why I did it and who, who I am. So now I prioritize the why and the who above the what. And my theory is about the how is if your why is strong enough, the how will take care of itself. So if there's anybody out there that's looking to level up, whether it's on the field or in a boardroom or in the community, however it is, you're thinking so much about what are you going to do? How are you going to do it? My pause, my time out, if you will, is when's the last time we took a deep breath and asked ourselves, why do I even want to do it in the first place? And if the why is strong, and if you can intrinsically look inside yourself and say, who am I? How can I show up on my best day? What are the actions, the behaviors, the decisions that get me closer to the impact I want to create? That's kind of not only the spirit of the book, but I just think it's a beautiful way of approaching life because now I'm not tied to the trophies anymore. I'm not tied to the success anymore. And those were lessons that I learned leading in the NFL and NBA. The moment I stopped trying to get more success and trophies, I became focused on serving others. And when I became a servant to others, and like you said, Lyle, I helped build those relationships and empowered other people, long snappers included. That's when my life started to take off. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. 
That's awesome. Yeah, being a servant, a servant leader, and, and and caring for others, and yeah, like you said, concentrate on the why, right? Don't focus on the the trophies. Don't focus on the results. Focus on the the why, right? You focus on that, everything else will kind of uh, will kind of take care of itself. So, yeah, and a good analogy, and this is a one liner that I'll just you know take to the bank is purpose keeps you on the treadmill, especially on the days you want to get off. That's the one to remember. Purpose keeps you on the treadmill, especially on the days you want to get off. And hey, whether 2020 or just as all of us listening in charge forward through this adverse chapter that we've been in, trust me, brother, we all want to get off the treadmill sometimes. <laughs> we're, hu- we're human. We're human. And I found that unless I have a deeper purpose, I'm, I'm no better than anybody else. I'll jump off that treadmill real easy. But guess what? When I believe in something, I never get off the treadmill because it's a lifelong mission and I expect the defense to push back on me, but that's kind of the fuel of perseverance. Yeah, definitely, definitely. <clears throat> yeah, especially like you said, now with uh, 2020 and, and the start of this year with uh, everything that's going on, there's definitely lots of reason and lots of uh, uh, chances to, to get off the treadmill. But as you said, have that purpose, right? And that'll keep you keep you going and keep you trucking through the tough times. Um, it's relatable in, in sports and also in in life as well. Just keep persevering and, and things will, will work out and, and hard work always pays off. 100%. Awesome. So Paul, thank you so much for coming on. It's been uh, a great interview, great pleasure speaking with you and uh, talking about uh, your time in sports. And just for the listeners again, if they want a chance to uh, get your book, can you just uh, give that uh, information for for them? Sure. So the title is The Power of Playing Offense, and you can easily find it on Amazon. It is right there front and center. Uh, And yeah, proud to announce we just launched it uh, pretty much end of March of 21 and literally first day became a national bestseller, top new release in the sports industry. So I'm I'm extremely proud because there were a lot of folks that contributed to it. Awesome, awesome. So yeah, with that, you obviously know that it's uh, there's a lot of good material in there. That if it's a best-selling book, obviously there's a lot of demand for it. So make sure you get your your hands on a copy of it and uh, and uh, give it a give it a read. So Paul, thank you so much and appreciate your time. Absolutely, Lau. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for listening to After the Gridiron. If you're a fan of the show please make sure you subscribe to the show and also leave a rating and review. By doing that, you also help to spread the word about the podcast and assist others in finding the show so more people can enjoy this great content. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the links to those being found on the website. Your support is very much appreciated. Also, please visit the resources page on the website for links to our sponsors and affiliates. Their support helps to keep the show running. So go to www.atgridiron.com slash resources to check them out. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you when we kick off our next episode.